You're listening to On the Road, Our Way, the archive of the podcast formerly known as Women on the Road from 2017 to 2020, hosted and produced by Laura Borshevsky and a production of Rabble Media. Before we get going, we recently expanded our Women on the Road social media channels so you can keep getting inspiring and helpful road travel content between episodes. You can find us on Instagram at Women on the Road and on Facebook by searching for Women on the Road Podcast, which now has a page for links and updates and our group for community stories, questions, and support, so you get to choose how you'd like to stay connected. Follow the links in our show notes to get started, and we'll see you online. We spend hours on Google Maps all the time looking for new places, and it's how we found some of our favorite spots. We often are like zooming in on dirt roads and just being like, I think we could drive that. Let's go out there. I'm Laura Hughes, and you're listening to the She Explores podcast series, Women on the Road, a podcast to bring you closer to some of the honest experiences that life on the road has to offer from the perspective of women who've lived it firsthand. If you like to travel, you're no stranger to that push-pull you feel when you're en route. The reminder to be in the moment and be present in your journey, even though your sights may be on one particular destination. You wonder if you should pull off at every vista, but use the clock or the amount of daylight left as an indicator of whether it's worth it or not. You hope to find the best small town experiences along the way to where you're headed, but when you stop, it's for practical reasons like getting gas. And I'm saying you, but I'm really meaning me. Does anyone else feel this way? When traveling on the road for however long, it always seems like the journey and the destination are two opposing forces. And I'm all for the journey. But you know, I think sometimes the destination gets a bad reputation in the process. So what happens when you give more attention to your destination? Can focusing on destination actually lead to more journey? I like to think that Abby Hearn would answer yes to that last question. Abby's an adventure wedding photographer, living on the road full-time with her husband, Callan, and their dog, Charlie. As a traveling creative professional dedicated to finding the perfect places to host clients for adventurous outdoor sessions, Abby eats, sleeps, and breathes destinations. It's not just a part of her livelihood. It's a passion of hers to find these special places. And in focusing on these destinations for the past couple years, she's built up a successful photography business, covering some of the most stunning locations in the Western U.S. with couples wanting to take a less traditional approach to getting married or celebrating their love. Abby's wielded a camera in almost every scenario, from hiking on mountaintops to being suspended 400 feet in the air for a wedding held over a canyon in Utah that went viral late last year. Here's Abby explaining what her work looks like. So we are adventure wedding photographers, and we have an emphasis on smaller weddings. We call them elopements, but they can be booked as far as like a year in advance, so it's not your typical term for elopement. But a lot of our weddings are just the couple, the officiant, and us, and they're typically in national parks or BLM land. Most of our weddings are in Yosemite or the Moab area, and then we have kind of random stuff in between. So We live on the road full time and book out our schedule based on our wedding bookings and then go from there. Currently, Abby calls a Dodge Promaster cargo van her home as the Hearns bounce from location to location for photo shoots. But this isn't their first camper. In fact, it's their third. So we had a van again. It was the biggest regret and we always joke that it's our only regret in life. We bought that back when we still lived in an apartment, so it was more of a weekender vehicle. I definitely wouldn't ever live in one. I mean, we personally wouldn't own one again just because it was a total lemon. We were working on it more than it was running, and 
putting a lot of money into it and it never really got running. We pretty much just ended up selling it for way cheaper than we bought it for to get it away from us. So after that experience, we hit the road full time and we were first living in our Subaru, just pulling a little camper. And we pretty much decided to do that because when we hit the road, we wanted to do it as simply as possible. And we didn't want to like buy some nice van and do all of this stuff when we didn't know how long we'd be on the road or what our life would look like. So we had our Subaru already and started pulling a little camper that we picked up and um, lived in that for nine months. And it worked, but now we look back on it and we're like, I don't know how we did this. Because it was like a little, pretty much just a shell with no windows, no utilities, just a bed and storage. And we actually stayed in it through the winter in Moab. And we would wake up and there would be frost on the inside of the camper. It'd be like we were in a walk-in freezer. And then it would like melt on our bed in the daytime. And then our sheets would be frozen again at night. So it was pretty heinous. And then we finally got to the point where we felt like we were ready to buy and build a van. And we kind of knew what we wanted because we'd seen a lot of different types of vans. So now we are in a new Ram Promaster, and we bought it just as a cargo van with nothing in it, and Callan did the build completely himself in three weeks so that we could hit the road again. So he calls it a utilitarian build. Um, It's not the most fancy, but we put some paint on it, and I threw some throw pillows in there and have nice blankets. So it looks really nice, and it works for us, but there's definitely nicer vans out there. Yeah, well, whatever works, right? Like sometimes the utility build, you know, if you're prioritizing, I want to build this so that we can get back on the road as soon as possible, like then it's the perfect build. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what we always say when people are like, oh, I want to live on the road and I want to be in a van. And we're like, honestly, just do what works for you right now and try and hit the road as soon as possible. And then you're going to know what you need more so after you've been on the road for a while. So when people like buy a brand new van and do this whole build and it takes them a year to do that. And it's like, you could have just been living on the road for the last 11 months, but that's kind of our mentality is get on the road and then figure out what you need from there. When Abby and Callan got on the road, it was in pursuit of this traveling photography business, which Abby clearly loves, but it's not all flashy moments. In fact, some of Abby's favorite parts of her work happen when she's checking her email. One of the best things ever is when we get an email from someone and they're like, hey, I've been planning a huge wedding and it's really stressing me out and I'm realizing that I'm just doing it for everyone else. And I found your Instagram and realized that we could elope in Yosemite and so we're going to do that and we want to know, like, how do we do it? What are the details? What do we need to do? And that's kind of our favorite email and we get that pretty often. And it's really cool because... It's really special to get to be the only people present at someone's wedding day, which is typically like a big event and known as this huge machine where you have to have perfect flowers and perfect signs and really nice food and all of this stuff when really the only requirement of your wedding day is that you get married. And we personally believe that getting married and having really good photos are the two most important things. And it's really really cool it means a lot to us every single time because we kind of we get to the point where we're like emailing with them for months and planning their whole wedding day and we're super involved with everything so we get really close with our couples and then by the time we meet them we're like hugging and not shaking hands and getting to shoot their wedding and just be there and watch their ceremony and watch them take in a place for the first time it's a really really special thing for us I love hearing that. It's clear that you really love it, too, which is awesome. 
you know, you mentioned the the building. You didn't mention this directly, but building relationships is obviously a huge portion of what you do to build up your business. And you've had a lot of success in a short period of time with your photography business. So I'd be curious to know what kind of work does it take to build up a business the way that you've built yours up with Callan? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, one thing we always joke about, because sometimes our friends look at our prices on our website, and they're like, wow, I need to buy a camera and get into photography. And I'm like, honestly, we're to the point now where we are making good money with it, but it takes so much work. And it takes complete heart and soul and passion, at least for the way that we're doing it. It's genuinely my favorite thing. I love answering emails. I love editing photos. I love meeting up with couples and planning their wedding day. So for me, it's a ton of work, but it's work that I love. But that's definitely something that we try and put on our Instagram and try and put out there for people to see is that I am busting my butt all the time. I mean, I am constantly answering emails, constantly editing photos. We run a blog. One of the ways that our clients find us is through searching on Google. We're at the top of a lot of different search terms like adventure wedding photographer and elopement photographer and different location-based things. And that didn't come just easily. That comes from me spending hours and hours on our website, making sure everything is optimized and consistently blogging. And um, also just running our social media accounts is a ton of work and making sure that we're putting stuff out there that's really engaging and interesting and content that people want to follow. There's just so much that goes into it that people don't realize it's way more than just taking good photos. And taking good photos is really hard. So it's a ton of work. It's definitely not for the faint of heart. And I could not imagine doing it if I didn't love it. We definitely wouldn't have the success that we've had if we didn't love the experience and um, really love what we're getting out of it and love what we're putting into it and the relationships that we're building. It definitely makes it all worth it for us. But it is a ton of work. And hearing you list off all of those things that you do on a regular basis, I also know that you must be driving a lot to your different destinations. And I guess I'm wondering, you know, as someone who also works from the road and just knowing how it is challenging to balance living out of a vehicle, even if it's a really nice vehicle or even if it's a like, you know, vehicle optimized for your way of life, it's still a lot of extra little chores and stuff and a lot of moving. So I'm wondering from your perspective, you know, you guys hit the road and you've been traveling around to take these photos. Do you feel like your on-the-road lifestyle helps your business or is it something that provides some challenges? Definitely both. I think that us hitting the road full-time and being available in all of these different locations and just the fact that, you know, during our time off, we're living in Yosemite when we're working in Yosemite. So if we have a day off between weddings, we're hanging out in Yosemite, exploring the area, um, we joke that every single time that we're just doing a hike, we are doing something for our business because we're location scouting and we're getting to know the places and that's what people hire us for. Even last fall, we had one week in Yosemite where we shot, I think it was four elopements and one intimate wedding and a few sessions all in a week. And we had one day off and Callan took that one day to climb um, El Cap, the nose in a day with his friend. And it was just the craziest thing because it was like that one day off. But then later in the week, we were shooting a wedding on Cathedral Beach and El Cap was the backdrop. And the bride's 
dad was like, our photographer climbed El Cap this week. That's so cool and was telling everyone about it. So it's definitely all mixed together. But I think there's a lot of ways where it has made our success easier and faster. But it's also a huge challenge because I don't have a stable office. I don't have reliable electricity or Wi-Fi. We have a hotspot and we have solar panels, but if it's raining, we don't get power. For instance, yesterday, we were in Yosemite all day and we were parked somewhere with service, but we weren't getting very much power. And I have a ton of emails I have to get to, but I literally just couldn't do them because my computer was dying so quickly in the cold and I didn't have a way to charge it. So that's really challenging. I think a lot of people see our life and think that we're like on this never-ending camping trip vacation, but we are working while camping, and it makes it really, really difficult when you have to get stuff done and you literally can't because of some outside circumstance. But we always find balance and figure out ways to make it happen, but it can definitely make for some really frustrating days when you need to get work done and you just cannot because of some random thing. Mm -hmm. Yes, I know exactly what you mean. (laughs) I was actually taking a phone call two days ago and I was in we have an outdoor tent that we'll set up when we're dispersed camping for longer periods of time and that's like our outdoor office so that we can have some separate working space if we want to or I can hop on the phone or do interviews and Shane's not just put outside and uh a huge, huge like sandstorm started coming through the desert and the tent almost collapsed on me entirely. And so, uh, oh my God. yeah, so I only know I, I, that that conversation was totally recorded. It wasn't being used for audio, but it must just be so funny because all of a sudden I was like, I have to go. The tent's collapsing on me. There's a big sandstorm. And I was like, wow, this sounds really dramatic, but that's just the way it goes. And so I had to take an hour out of my day to you know resolve the tent situation, get it all like shaken out and back in the van while it was still super windy and like that kind of stuff happens when you live outside yeah we have a dog which he brings so much joy to our lives and we love him to death but it definitely makes it way harder to live on the road so like in the summer when it's too hot to leave him in the van when I go work in a coffee shop or in the library or something Callan literally just has to babysit Charlie he cannot do anything he can't get work done we can't both be inside somewhere So there's always this logistical, like, you don't have a house that is climate controlled in the way that most people do. So it's always a struggle. (laughs) But one thing that works for us is we balance it really well. So I do a lot of the computer work, a lot of the editing and behind the scenes stuff for the business is all kind of on my plate. And then Callan is like our life manager. So his job in the business is to show up and shoot and manage morale and be part of the team, which is a huge, huge part of it. I mean, I don't think I could do it alone. And our personalities bring so much to the table. But aside from that, he's pretty much figuring out where we're going to park that night and where we're going to camp and what we're going to have for dinner and making sure I have food and that I have outside time. And he does 98% of the driving. So he does a ton of stuff, but it's not necessarily directly towards the business. But without it, there's no way we could live on the road. So it's all about balancing it for us and figuring out who needs to do what jobs to make sure the whole family is sustained and working and getting everything done. We'll hear more from Abby after this. If you like stories of adventurous women, chances are you'll also like our sister podcast, She Explores. 
Hosted by Gail Straub, she explores as a podcast for and about women who are inspired by time spent outside. Gail hosts some incredible conversations, sharing stories and covering topics like hiking solo, mental health in the outdoors, adventuring with kids, entrepreneurship, and more, all from the outdoorsy woman's perspective. You can find the She Explores podcast by visiting www.she-explores.com podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you stream stories. One thing that's interesting about weddings is you typically don't have return clients, ideally. We're back, and I was curious to hear some practical tips from Abby as a traveling photographer. Everything from business development to gear recommendations. Abby kicked things off by explaining what it's been like for her to generate clients without one specific location in which to grow a network. So our client base is always changing, but we joke that we really don't have any word of mouth referrals at all. So for us, it really is that search engine optimization and then Instagram are like our two big hitters for how clients find us. Pretty much when we hit the road, I knew like word of mouth wasn't going to be a thing and we weren't going to rely on people that knew us from where we were based in Texas before hitting the road. So I was like, well, I think Google is going to be our best bet. So I started optimizing everything and making sure that I was blogging location-based stuff a lot and using keywords and things. So even before we had booked any weddings in Yosemite, I was blogging our own adventures in Yosemite and saying things like, this would be a great place for a wedding. So we were getting up there before we were actually having the portfolio to make it. And that's been the biggest thing for getting us in front of people. And since doing that, we have grown our Instagram really big. And we started the Instagram account at the Hearns last March when we officially changed the name from Abby Hearn Photography to the Hearns Adventure Photography. So that account has grown a lot. And the more that grows, the more percentage of bookings are coming from Instagram. So it's really those two huge things. And then a little bit of like Pinterest and other random stuff, but we pretty much have no word of mouth referrals. Do you have any tips for people who are traveling photographers who want to build out a van to keep their gear secure so that, you know, their cameras and and other gear aren't rolling around or getting too exposed while they're out traveling? My number one advice is have really good insurance that will cover it if all of your gear gets stolen. Because the bottom line is our van is less secure than someone's home and we're parking it in places that is less secure than a neighborhood. So we have good insurance, but also in the van, we have our gear and really secure like media cases. And so we have those with padding and every single camera and lens has a slot that it goes into. So it's not moving around while we're moving and everything is padded and secure. But yeah, that's our biggest thing is have good insurance. And we also have a security system on the van. So that does help deter possible theft. But that's our biggest thing is insurance and making sure you're parking in smart places that are less likely to get broken into. Would you recommend having any type of a locked system for all of your gear? You could. We have the media cases that our stuff is in are latched to one of the seats. So they're not locked, but they can't be taken out in full, if that makes sense. And then the other thing is we also bring important stuff in if we are going somewhere, especially if we think it's an area where a break-in is more likely. So I almost never leave my camera or my computer in the van 
And especially if we've recently shot a wedding and I haven't downloaded and backed up the cards yet, I carry those cards on my person at all times and will not leave them anywhere out of sight. So that's just always really important to me. But it's mostly for things that can be replaced, it's making sure you have insurance that will replace them. But my biggest concern is always the irreplaceable things, so the photos and data. And that's just something that I always make sure I'm backing up multiple times on different hard drives that are spread throughout the van. And then we leave hard drives at people's houses that we visit and we'll back up to those drives each time that we're there. Because she treasures these places she gets to explore and photograph, something else Abby is passionate about when it comes to destinations is when and how to disclose them to others, especially with the rise of social media communication giving way to large audiences. When it comes to this topic, there's a lot of overlap between dispersed camping on back roads and setting up a photo shoot. So it was interesting to get Abby's take since she's regularly doing both. I honestly have a lot of mixed opinions on it, but my go-to is pretty much I will not share locations publicly and I only share them with friends if they ask directly. But as far as someone messaging me on Instagram and saying like, hey, where is this campsite? I often will not share it just because for me, I've seen locations get destroyed by overuse. And we all know that Instagram has played a huge role in that. I think the most classic example to look at is Horseshoe Bend in Page, Arizona. It used to be like a local secret that just a few people knew about. Even though it was a quarter mile from the road, it was a small parking lot and just a few people would go there a day. But now it has become super popular and they've had to build bigger parking lots. And then even in recent months, they built an even bigger parking lot and have a observation deck under construction and all kinds of stuff. So it's crazy how many people go there now and you pretty much cannot have a private moment at that location ever again. And obviously that's a pretty extreme example, but we have places around like Moab in the desert that we love so much that when we think about, you know, that becoming Horseshoe Bend, it makes us feel sick. So for me, I've had experiences in the past where I used to share locations or I would even give them privately to people that I thought I could trust. And in fact, she did one time to a fellow photographer. But when the photo surfaced, what Abby saw was disheartening. In her photos, I could tell that they had like walked on cryptobiotic soil and just gone through the desert and basically not taken any time to learn like how to protect the area and how to care for the land. And basically they walked on soil that takes 300 years to grow. And if you step on it, then you're killing it. And it's just little examples like that, where to me, I've realized that the best way I can protect a place is to not tell anyone where it is and hope that they don't go there unless they discover it themselves. And I truly believe that when people discover these places on their own, they're much more likely to respect it and care for it and realize how sacred and valuable it is. It's always a hard struggle. And to me, if I do share a location, I always try and encourage people now to learn how to take care of it and learn what the rules are there and all that kind of stuff. I think it's really important to care about locations. And my biggest hope is not necessarily that people will just not adventure where I like to adventure, but that if they do, they will care for it and respect the land and love it the way that I do. So it's always a struggle for me, but especially with like 
secret locations that we find on our own that we fall in love with. I won't even share those with close friends often just because I like to keep it to myself still. And I think that it, some of these places are so special that the people that find them are who deserve to really be enjoying them, not necessarily the people that just got a Google pin sent to them <laughs> because they messaged someone on Instagram and said, where is this? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I've seen negative reactions from people online when anyone, but especially someone with a large following, refuses to share locations that they've found, but have posted photos of or hasn't even posted photos of yet, but has told people that they, you know, they were just somewhere really special. And my response to that is always that everyone has access to maps. If you're on a phone, you are already privileged enough to have access to a lot of different kinds of maps. And you can find these places. You know, that's that's what a lot of us are doing. We're spending a lot of time looking at maps and going and exploring and doing all the things that people want to do when they see pictures that are really inspiring on Instagram. They want to go explore and have an adventure. You can go have one. and You just might not know what the outcome is. You know, it might surprise you. Yeah, absolutely. We, I mean, Callan and I both spend hours on Google Maps all the time looking for new places. And it's how we found some of our favorite spots. We often are like, zooming in on dirt roads and just being like I think we could drive that let's go out there and if you look at Callan's Google Maps when you zoom out far enough to see the whole United States everything west of the continental divide is completely covered in stars like you literally cannot see land because of the amount of stars that he's saved in the maps app so it, it really is I mean we spend so much time looking for these places yeah it just takes some work One thing that I've seen you write a lot about through a few different posts, but especially after your really now famous space net wedding is your fear of heights. And, you know, Abby, I don't I don't buy that you have a fear of heights because you've done so many amazing (laughs) things. You know, I've seen that you've gone skydiving once or twice, too, also through Instagram. So I guess I'm wondering, how did you overcome your fear of heights? Is that something you still grapple with? And how does that impact you as an adventure photographer? Like, does that hold you back? Yeah, so I'm actually a licensed skydiver now, which is part of how I overcame my fear of heights. I have always been very nervous around cliff edges, and I would freak out when the plane was taking off for a normal commercial flight. And I used to be the person that, like, if my friends were anywhere near a cliff edge, I would be 25 feet back yelling at them to come back closer to me. And, you know, they would be, like, laughing, and I was they're for sure going to just, like, magically somersault off the edge of this cliff and I'm never going to see him again. So I was definitely very afraid of heights for a long time. But when we started going to Moab is when it kind of started going away. I would get more and more comfortable getting closer to cliff edges and more confident in myself to not just randomly trip and fall. And then, I mean, I was definitely still really, really afraid of heights when I did my first skydive in Moab. When they opened the plane, just kind of felt like a different world. And then a few months later, I just couldn't stop thinking of that moment when they opened the plane and we jumped out. That was my favorite moment. And it's still my favorite part of every skydive. I ended up getting my skydiving license and it was a really challenging experience for me. I definitely got really freaked out. My third solo jump um, was the first time my instructor was going to let go of me in free fall. But previously, he had been, like, holding me stable. But I had this fear that the second he let go, I was going to just, like, cannonball to the ground magically. But he pretty much talked me into trusting him. And I ended up getting really scared 
and having to ride the plane down before that third jump. But I was able to kind of overcome it on the ground and be like, okay, I can do this. Like, I need to be brave. I know how to do it. I know that I can trust this instructor. And um, so I did that jump. And after that, I'm, I've just gotten much more comfortable with heights. I think really getting my skydiving license and doing so many jumps and being at different heights above the ground multiple times in my own harness with my own control has helped a lot. So now I'm much more comfortable around cliff edges and I still get pretty scared anytime that we are rappelling or with that space net wetting, that definitely freaked me out a lot. And I had to take some time on the net to get comfortable before I was ready to take any photos out there. Um, just cause it was like dead airspace. So you're just hanging 400 feet above the ground instead of like flying a parachute or falling. So it's still something that I deal with all the time, but I think just pushing my own comfort levels and doing things that scare me that I know are safe and figuring out the difference between fear because of the scenario and fear because of a chance of danger and just differentiating that has always been really important to me. And I think I'm getting better about it now. You know, I think that's one of the very qualities that, you know, learning how to differentiate the different types of fear that I've been finding more and more as a commonality between women who travel on the road. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just have to know, like, you know, whether it's I'm getting ready to hit the road or I want to hit the road someday and I don't know how to make that happen or whether it's I'm camping out in the middle of nowhere by myself or I have to pee and it's the middle of the night and I need to go outside, like all of that stuff, like there that comes into question all the time, you know, and I think a lot of the people who have decided to hit the road, um, those women out there who've decided to do that have said, yeah, like I'm, I'm learning. I recognize there are different types of fear and, you know, the motivations come from different places and some fear helps me and some fear holds me back. And it sounds like that's what it's been like for you with heights. Absolutely. And that's something that I think my friend, um, Brianna Media said this, I'm probably going to butcher it because she's such a good writer. But she was talking about, like, people asking her, are you afraid of this? Are you afraid of that? Like, living on the road? And, you know, are you afraid that your dogs are going to run away and you're never going to see them again? And all this stuff. And she basically said her answer is, like, yes, all of those things are scary, but I'm much more afraid of the idea of never going for it. And to me, that's just what stands out the most. Like, I, looking back, I'm so much more afraid of the idea that I, like, could have chickened out and never learned how to skydive and never made these friends and found this community and fallen in love with this sport way more than I'm afraid that like I would randomly have a freak accident with my super docile canopy and somehow get hurt in a way that's like extremely unlikely in the way that I do skydive so that's kind of my thing is just figuring out like what are you actually afraid of and what fears are valid and what fears are worth pushing for what you might get out of it. As we wrapped up our call, Abby had some words of advice for anyone out there looking towards their next big move into living an adventurous life. My biggest advice is always to do whatever the next step you can do right now is. Dreaming big is super important and will always be important no matter where you are in life, but figuring out what steps you can take today to get to where you want to be at some point is super good. So if you're in a lease and you like have to stay in that lease for the next six months but you're thinking you might want to hit the road at the end of those six months I would suggest planning a road trip and trying to live on the road for two weeks and see how that goes and see if you actually enjoy that 
A big thanks to Abby Hearn for taking time to share stories and tips from the road. If you'd like to follow along on Abby's adventures and see her stunning photography, you can find her at Abby Hearn and at the Hearns, which you can find linked in our show notes along with photos of the captivating space net wedding we mentioned a couple times during this episode. If you enjoy listening to Women on the Road, we'd love for you to consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We do a lot to keep this show going, and reviews help others to find out about us, so it's incredibly appreciated. You could also share this episode with a friend you think will like it. And thank you so much for your support. Original show music by our talented friend, Liam McNally, with additional music by Senshi and Josh Woodward. Women on the Road is edited in partnership with Gail Straub and produced by She Explores.